quantity and quality. Don't at me, you Seinfeld stands. And now here are the only hosts in podcasting who remain masters of their domain. Alison Goldberg and Jennifer Jamula. Hello, everyone. I'm Jen. I'm Allie. <laughs> it sounded like that was hard to get out. <laughs> I've spilled everything on myself this morning. Oh, no. I spilled my coffee on myself. I dropped my banana on myself. Gosh. Everybody having a good, good time. <laughs> yes. Well, you know, I have random clumsy days like that, too, where like I, I trip and... I get something in my eye. I bump into people. I don't know. It just happens. It happens. It's a bad luck day. I'm having one of those days <laughs> and it's messing up my onesie. <laughs> <laughs> well, folks, welcome to Two Girls, One Podcast. Hi, Matt. How are you doing? Hey. Um, Allie and I are performers. We had a live comedy show for a long time where we used the internet as our script. And then we created a web series called Two Girls, One Show, which you can find on hoo ha We met the people behind the posts that we've been performing all those years. My hoo going to get a disease. <laughs> okay, once again, I'm shocked that it hasn't. <laughs> I've never had a hula disease, and it, I'm overdue. You know so what? Not. Silver lining for the day where everything's spilling on you. Yeah, also, sure. I mean, quar- in quarantine, I feel like it's unlikely I'm going to get a disease, so I've got at least another year in the clear. Yeah, but you know, the problem is if you spill something into the onesie and it goes down there you and you can't find it for a couple of days, that's a high risk factor, I think. <laughs> I'm not a doctor. No, nah, that just means it's in nature's pocket. <laughs> yeah, neither sometimes, Allie nor I have enough cleavage to really have that I, issue. So. Yeah, we don't, nothing gets caught in the cleavage, but sometimes when you can't find your keys, you got to check nature's pocket. <laughs> Well, if you're new here, you might not know what you're getting <laughs> I'm into. I'm so sorry. <laughs> <laughs> On this podcast, we are talking to folks behind different internet communities and phenomena that we find interesting. And while it is a comedy podcast, today's topic is, well, you know what? It could be a celebration as well, not just uh, a mournful situation. But we are actually talking with the founder of a website service uh, kind of community now called Gathering Us. And this is a community that helps put on virtual funerals and ceremonies. So obviously now in the time of COVID, uh, people are mourning, grieving, um, completely alone. And she's created something that has hopefully, I think, brought a lot of meaning to people's lives. And she's going to tell us about how they're doing that. So we got a real upper for you this week. I don't know how deep we want to get here, but I guess I'll just mention personally that a family member passed away in the last four months, not because of COVID, but, you know, just the not being able to go to that funeral at the time it was sort of like in it was in april or march so it was the height of everything like the height yeah yeah like so much uncertainty and i had to make that decision of like and it was a close close family member older person and then beyond that helping the people who are very close to that person grieve um, especially those who are living alone there just have been so many questions how do you recreate a feeling of being in person in those situations and how do you come together when we can't physically be together and how do you make jokes at a funeral? <laughs> you know, they do have ser- or uh, like more celebrations and things. So maybe there's like a lighthearted component. I'm sure there is. When I die. Dig into you. <laughs> yes. If I die soon, 
Everyone should wear a onesie to my funeral and Obby. there should be 80s dance music playing. <laughs> and then I only want people sharing fun stories. If I die when I'm old as fuck, I don't give a shit. <laughs> yeah. I hope I'm old as fuck when I die. What about you guys? I think, well, I would like, uh, <laughs> yeah, I hope I'm old as fuck. But if it were to happen sooner, I want them to play Blind Melon's No Rain, my favorite song from fifth grade. <laughs> And I want okay. everybody to dance around like that little bee girl. Can I do dramatic readings of your middle school journal? <laughs> Just one. Yes. Just one. Which most? No, but which <laughs> one? Which most? Um, I need to dig back, but maybe the one about the coochie cutters. Noted. <laughs> All righty. Well, I think it's time for trivia. Yeah. <laughs> today's episode is about virtual gatherings related to grief, but today's trivia is about a much lighter gathering. That's right. It's your favorite game and mine, Magic the Gathering. I know you guys play. I know you guys are mm. hardcore Magic the Gathering players. Uh, that's what mm. I've read about you on your mm-hmm. on your Wikipedia pages. Uh, yeah, I'm a, I'm a Hinge profile. <laughs> you know I don't play games. I don't even know what Magic the Gathering is. But we, we played we played a game with some podcast listeners the other night, and it was great. It was called Among Us. We can recap on this later, but we just wanted to say, come into our Discord, and maybe you'll play games with us in the future. Discord. You know, that game was actually that game was really relevant to today's episode because a lot of people died in the game that's true that's true that's true okay all right anyway (laughs) magic the gathering you really don't you've never even heard of it do you have any context for this game i know about it okay i've heard of it. that's it i just i've heard of it it is the mother of all collectible trading card games it was released in 1993 became an instant phenomenon uh it's incredibly complex uh you have a personal deck of cards which you collect uh you can purchase them you can win them from other players your deck is composed from from a pool of more than 20,000 unique cards that have been printed over many, many years since 1993. Now, valuable cards obviously have stronger stats, abilities, creatures, but certain cards have become very rare either because they're out of print or because the rules of the game have changed over time, making certain cards more or less desirable. So today's trivia question is, What is the most valuable Magic the Gathering card of all time from a price standpoint? So just to clarify, this doesn't mean what's the most powerful card in the game or the most strategic. This literally means what is the highest price that a a, a collector or a player has paid for a single Magic the Gathering card. I have three real cards to share with you, and you have to guess which one was was the highest. Are you ready? We're ready, but I wish you made some up. I know. Uh, I will I will be transparent. All of these are real cards from the game. I did not make any of these up. Okay. I was tempted to do so. <laughs> we love it when you make A- things up, but okay, okay. <laughs> A, the dirty medallions. Mm, I like the way that sounds. Yeah, the dirty medallions. I'm voting A. Harry Potter and the Dirty Medallion. So that was my favorite one from the series. <laughs> that was good. <laughs> In 1997, the 12th expansion for Magic was released called Tempest. Some of these new cards were printed on a machine that also printed Charlie Brown comics. The machine was not cleaned before the cards went in. So a handful of these rare medallion cards on them, you can see faint, faint outlines of Charlie Brown comics, which make them sought after by collectors. That is choice A, Charlie Brown medallions. Here's choice B, the Black Lotus. 
This card grants its master three extra mana of any one color, which enables players to use very powerful cards from their deck way before they normally would. This card was quickly recognized as way too powerful for the game, and it has been banned from most formats of play, and now the card is out of print. So even though you actually cannot use this card in a normal game, its power and rarity have skyrocketed the price over the years. Can I phone a friend? Because I have a friend who's super into Magic the Gathering. Oh. Um, no, you may not. Fuck. For technical and uh, fairness reasons. Okay. Choice C. I'm titling this Our Market Research. The creators of the game like to have fun with their cards. Obviously, it's like a fantasy wizard game, but they, they occasionally do break the fourth wall. In 2004, they released an expansion that contained a creature card, and this is the real, actual name of the card. You can own this card, you can play this card in the game. Our market research shows that players really like long card names, so we made this card to have the absolute longest name ever Elemental, end quote. That is the name of the card. This joke was so funny to players that the card became super collectible and is now super rare. Which of these three is the most valuable Magic the Gathering card ever? Allie, are you sticking with Dirty Medallions? Yeah, I'm sticking with Dirty Medallions. Damn it. I, I don't have anything you, else to go on. <laughs> well, you like, you. I think you're like, you like the Dirty Medallion thing. I love that it's Charlie Brown, but... I know, just to diversify, I'm going to go with B, the Black Lotus. The Black Lotus, all right. You know what? That was going to be my other guess because um, lotus blossoms are so fucking cool. Yes, yes, so, yes. I support you. Yeah, they are. Support you. Before we break, do you have any reference point as to how valuable this might be, the, the most valuable card ever? Do you, any, any rough estimates or guesses? I, I'm not going to disclose anything. No, I have no idea what's happening. Let's say it's going to be in the hundreds of thousands of dollars. Okay. Yeah. All right. We will find out the correct answer to the world's most valuable Magic the Gathering card after this break. We are gathered here to celebrate the incredible lives of Chris Harrison, Jerry Duran, Jessica Fox, Melissa Elliott, James Dozier, Christopher Latch, Kathy Phillips, William and Matthew Scott. We thank you and your beautiful lives for donating $10 or more to our Patreon. Patreon.com slash 2G1P. May you live forever! And now a real post entitled To Whomever Called 911 on the Marijuana Plants in Our Front Yard. From the best website for municipal emergency communication, Nextdoor, courtesy of Best of Nextdoor. To whomever called 911 on the marijuana plants in the front yard, they are tomato plants, you imbecile. Next time you feel the need to stuff up the emergency line with absolute garbage, try 311. That's the non emergency line. You're welcome.
Well, you say tomato, but I say marijuana, so <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> it doesn't even That's that. actually uh, how we do it in California. <laughs> you just grow in your front yard like that? You could. I mean, yeah, it's completely legal. <laughs> you know, I was thinking of growing cherry tomatoes and weed on my balcony, so... Wow. So for weeds harder. You there's like a lot of you gotta put it in a dark room for some stage of it. I've been looking into it. I've also been looking into how to grow shrooms at home, but <laughs> <laughs> more wow. on that later. Have like it's a complicated. I've looked into it and it's it's complicated. <laughs> All right, what's this trivia? What is this trivia indeed? What was is the most valuable Magic the Gathering card ever transacted or sold? Uh, Ali, you went with the Charlie Brown Dirty Medallions, uh, cards that were printed on a dirty printing press that have very faint, faint Charlie Brown comics printed on them. Very rare. Uh, Jen, you went with the Black Lotus, a super-powered card that is banned from Magic the Gathering. Uh, And no one went with the... Our market research shows that players really like long card names, so we made this card to have the absolute longest card name ever, Elemental. Are you sticking with the answers? Yep, sticking with it. Now, for context, some powerful or rare magic cards can be worth a few dollars. Some of them get up to $20, maybe $50 for something pretty good that you want in your deck. Some super rare collectible cards even will fetch $1,000, maybe $5,000 at an auction. However, the Black Lotus is so overpowered and game-breaking and rare that this banned card is the most valuable in the history of the game if the card is verified as part of the first magic set ever printed way back in 1993 and the card is in perfect condition. It has been known to hit for more than $100,000. I I won. (laughs) Not only did you win, you got the right answer, but you also predicted... Does she win the the card? the amount uh, that would be if i can get the card it, it is yours um but here but hold on uh just this past summer a limited edition alpha black lotus in mint condition signed by the artist who designed the card every one of these cards has beautiful artwork by a lot of like fantasy artists and painters and illustrators uh this sold to as far as I can tell, a Spanish YouTuber slash SEO guru. This guy seems to be very wealthy, uh, making videos about like search engine optimization and e-commerce on YouTube. Uh, his name is Ramald Fons, Spanish uh, gentleman. Purchased this card on eBay for $250,000, the highest single card value on record, at least that we know about. Wow. Where's he? He seems to be based in Spain and clearly we're in the wrong business because we should be making um, like SEO videos on YouTube, not (laughs) this thing. (laughs) Oh, man, that sounds really fun. Well, that's a game I'm never going to play. But thank you, Matthew. (laughs) Um, Feel slightly more knowledgeable. Yes, indeed. He's keeping us young. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. All the cool uh, TikTokers—that's what they do—is play Magic: The Gathering. Uh, probably a lot of them do. Maybe. Speaking of keep not keeping people young, because maybe they've died. <laughs> <laughs> that was a great transition. Keep it. Keep it. <laughs> We're so excited to welcome our guest today to the show. Please welcome Noah Weib Snyder, the founder of Gathering Us. Welcome, Noah. Hi, nice to be here. Thanks for having me. How are you? 
Good, good. Excited to be talking with you guys. We just want to start by having you in your own words tell us what is Gathering Us? Gathering Us is the place where family and friends come together to support each other and celebrate the life of their loved ones after a death. I started working on it about three years ago, and originally we launched with a memorial site. Uh, so memorial pages where family and friends could share photos and stories and make donations to the family, either for funeral expenses or for a charity. And they could add all the various events so everyone could be notified and stay in touch. And then in February, as things were changing around COVID, we realized we really needed to prioritize something that had been on our product roadmap for about a year, but we hadn't worked on yet. And that is uh, virtual events. So enabling family and friends to come together from afar when they can't be together. Since this was pre-COVID that you started it, uh, how did it get started? Why? What was the impetus behind it? So over the last two decades, my husband and I planned about a dozen funerals. And that's because my husband is part of a large Irish family. And when you have a lot of people, you also have a lot of death. And we realized that what got us through those really challenging times was the support of our friends and family and being able to bring everyone together and to have them there to get us through it. So I wanted to create a space to enable communities to gather and to support each other and to celebrate their loved ones in a unique and personal way. How did your services change when coronavirus hit? Yeah, so we realized that suddenly people weren't going to be able to gather as COVID was taking off and China was shutting down and all these different places in Europe were starting to shut down. We realized that we were coming soon too, and we needed to provide a way for people to gather. Our product manager, who'd actually been with us from the beginning, so for almost a couple of years, she had previously done virtual events. Um, and so she had the inspiration to create something that was much more than just like, you know, Facebook live stream or some other one way interaction. And she realized that bringing people together to see each other and to communicate and interact and to make it truly participatory is what makes a big difference. And if you think about grief and what helps you get through it and what, what transcends grief into mourning is the externalizing of what you're going through. It's the having your community aware of it and reflecting back to you the enormity of what you're going through. And so we wanted to create events that were truly participatory and that brought people together. And our events now are full on ceremonies and receptions where not only is the family speaking and the, the inner circle grievers are, are there, but also the community can share their stories and can be part of the, the gathering as well. So if there's any such thing as sort of like a typical online funeral or ceremony, what might that look like? Uh, just to give our listeners an idea if they've never experienced something like that before. Yeah, and they're all really different. Uh, so, you know, there are some things that are very typical, but part of what we do is really help families customize and personalize mm -hmm. events so that they're truly reflective of the traditions they want to bring to it, the traditions they want to create, um, and the ways that they want to commemorate the person uh, that make it really personal 
to them. And so we help them throughout that whole process. Uh, we, we are, think of us sort of as a wedding planner for funerals, uh, where we work with the family and we hold their hand throughout the whole process of thinking through what a program can look like, creating their slideshow, adding music, um, working with uh, all of the different stakeholders, because it can be really difficult during this time uh, to gather all of the various family and friends and people who want to be involved and have an opinion and, you know, whatever family drama may exist normally, all of those politics come <laughs> out. Uh, and so we help them through that. Uh, and then we create um, a ceremony, which often has um, a slideshow, a eulogy, several people who might want to speak, maybe sing, play music. Uh, poetry, readings. Uh, sometimes there are religious uh, clergy members, or they may just include some prayers. Uh, and then uh, we often open it up to what we call a facilitated share, which is us essentially passing the mic around to different people in the audience who want to share a story or a memory about the person. Uh, and so we'll mute and unmute different people. Uh, they can also share video. We often share different media. And then uh, we can also do receptions at the end, which uh, are different rooms where the family can gather in smaller groups with people. So Johnny's room, Samantha's room, the high school friends, uh, the Minnesota family, uh, or the kids table, kind of all, all the various groups that may want to gather and talk in a smaller, more uh, intimate setting. I mean, it sounds like you've already answered some of this, but in what ways is this like an in-person funeral? And more importantly, in, in what ways is your, does your platform make it a different experience? One of the things that I've noticed about the virtual funerals is that in a typical traditional funeral that's all in person, people are often seated in rows. And so most of what you see is people's backs. Whereas in an online or a virtual funeral, uh, or a hybrid funeral where some people are in person and some people are virtual, uh, which is often what we do nowadays, uh, you see people's faces and you see them really up close. And in fact, we often hear from guests and the people who, the families that we work with, that it's one of the most connected events they've been to of all the funerals they've ever been to. And I think it's because it really allows people to be there and to feel the presence of so many people up close and personal. The other thing is that historically people have relied on their traditions and what they think they're supposed to do for a funeral. Once you transition to a virtual event um, and it's no longer the event that you thought you were supposed to have, a lot of people are actually somewhat empowered and freed to do something much more creative and much more personal. And so we see really interesting events where they'll ask people to bring a meal to share or a specific food. Uh, like we had an ice cream social at the end of one of the events because the person loved ice cream. So everybody brought their ice cream and you could see them all eating together on the screen. Uh, another person loved fireworks. And so we showed five minutes of fireworks. Might ask everyone to wear a certain color because that was the person's favorite color. And so a lot of really neat and personal tributes that happen in these events that historically might not have happened because people didn't feel comfortable going there. And now that they're forced to rethink 
the event altogether. It really frees them up to do interesting things. That's so interesting because I feel that funerals and weddings, they're so generic most of the time. (laughs) And it's something that is such a major life event and it would make so much sense for it to be personal. And yet there's this... I guess tradition has has overridden the idea of it being personal. I think death seems so big that people are nervous about what they're supposed to do and they want to make sure that they're honoring their loved one appropriately. And so they're scared sometimes to do things that are different or unique. And this transition is really enabling people to move into a new direction, which is really interesting. And, and the timing is really interesting because already a lot of people were becoming less religious. And so they were relying less on religion. Uh, a lot of people were, are now being cremated. The majority of people are being cremated. And so there's no longer the urgency of the burial and what to do with the body. And so a lot of the events that we plan are weeks out or even months out. And it gives a family time to come together and really think about how they want to pay tribute to this person and how they want to commemorate them and celebrate them. And our tagline is celebrating lives together. And that's very purposeful that we really believe in these events as being a celebration of the person. And we want the family and and friends to come together and really feel that. Maybe you've already mentioned it, Noah, but what's sort of like the most fun example of a tradition that was brought in virtually that you can think of? Uh, So one, um, they asked everyone to bring Twizzlers because the person loved Twizzlers and they ate Twizzlers. Uh, A lot of them tend to be food, which makes sense, right? (laughs) A lot of our traditions are food related. Um, Another guy, you know, was love Diet Coke. And so they had everyone put a Diet Coke at the front of their screen. (laughs) It's not just Diet Cokes across. Uh Um, we've done virtual handholding, uh, where everyone will, have you guys seen this? You put no. your hands on the side of the screen. Oh, so everybody yeah, yeah. puts their hands up to the side. My favorites are really where people like the grandkids will play music or a song that they wrote where people are creating something or sharing something that is really personal to them. And you're doing hybrid events now, too. So give us an idea of what that could be like. And also just technically, that sounds like it might be quite a challenge. For sure. So tech support is a big part of what we do. We actually have a tech hotline that all of the guests can call in case they're having problems so that the speakers and the the grievers and the, the family is not having to deal with Uncle Joe can't figure out his sound kind of thing. Um, so we have a tech hotline and that um, is a part of all of our events in general. In addition to that, we do a walkthrough with the, all of the speakers a couple of days before the event. And for that, if it is a hybrid event, and what we call hybrid event is where there's maybe 20 people are together in person. And everybody else, whether it's 20 people or a thousand people are dialing in virtually. And so we help the family make sure that they can set up all of the audio visuals, that they're able to hook up a large screen TV or a projector, or if they're in a funeral home or a church or another location or a venue that has audio visual systems, we will hook up everything with them virtually. And we can work either with the family themselves or with the clergy member or the funeral director, whoever it is, uh, which to your point is not easy. It's definitely something that we spend a lot of time working on and every AV system is different. So we have a lot of practice now at working with different ones and really making sure that everyone can hear and see each other and speak 
and you don't get feedback and all of the pieces are connecting to each other. So you have people from Gathering Us like on site at the live uh, with no. the people who are in person? No. Okay. Nope. Nope. It's all virtual. Yeah. Got it. So we okay. actually can make all of that happen virtually. Take it from me as a person who has to connect four people on a weekly basis. What you just <laughs> described is a monumental, especially if they're not physically there to like plug the wires in. Like, oh, yeah. holy cow. The, whoever's doing that on your team needs a goddamn medal, if you ask me. <laughs> Thank you. They do. They do. They are incredibly patient and empathetic and also really amazing with their technical skills. <laughs> it's a challenge to hire people who are really good at tech and also very empathetic and happy right. to talk about death. Oh, right. All day long. As <laughs> All their day job. long. Exactly. Mm -hmm. that's, um, that's a special person, I think. Yeah. Something I'm wondering about is like how gathering us and you, you like help uh, simplify decision-making for the grieving families through all of this. Uh, yeah. And that's a tough thing. Um, so it's decision-making across a number of people too, right? If you think about a wedding planner who works with a couple, it's really mostly the couple who gets to make the final decision. I mean, obviously there's parents involved and, you know, some other things, but it's very clear who the key stakeholders are. Whereas in a funeral, there's lots of different concentric circles of people who cared about this person and the different people who are involved and what matters to them. And they all are different generations and different interests and different values. And so a lot of what we do is help them weed through that and bring it all together and in a timely fashion. So in a way, it's, it's really uh, very um, complex project management. Uh, yeah. while these people are also going through something incredibly tough. Um, and that's, you know, one of the things that we talk about is that you could do all this on your own, but you're already dealing with so much that on top of that, to be the person who's project managing and communicating with everyone and also doing the technology makes it really almost impossible for you to be present for the event itself while you're doing everything else. Uh, right. Ali and I, we lead trainings and things like that on the side. And at first it would, you'd think it would be easy on Zoom to facilitate, but then it takes day, it, days of planning for us. Like It sounds like it takes months of planning for you. So that makes perfect sense. <laughs> yeah. I mean, some of the events that we do are, are months away. We're already booked through the end of the year wow. uh, with events. Um, but we do also do events that are just, you know, two or three days away. Um, what are some of the other ways that you recreate the feeling of being in person and or I know you've already shared some, but what are other ways that you capitalize on the benefits of virtual and hybrid? The biggest thing we hear about our hybrid events is that in our virtual events really is that so many more people could be there than would have been in a normal event. You know, even if you live in a small town and all your friends and family are there locally, everyone would not necessarily be able to make it. And, you know, that's especially true right now with COVID, but it's true in normal times as well, where people have to work or can't travel, can't afford to travel across country. Right now, a lot of people certainly can't do all of those. And so just being able to include so many more people than you would have otherwise. The other thing that we do is sometimes people will do a small in-person burial and we can um, help them film that, right? So they can get a video of that. And we can show parts of that during a virtual event. So it can be included and not necessarily all of it, 
Um, but the parts that they think are important or meaningful, they can share with the larger community. And so it really gives them flexibility to include different audiences in different ways. So what are the elements that you think might carry over post-COVID of virtual gatherings for funerals and memorials? So virtual funerals were on our product roadmap for a year, and that's because we had personally experienced not being able to be at an event um, or not having people there who we wanted. Um, I had a friend who passed away about five years ago, and there were 800 people at her funeral, and then 2,000 people watched it on live stream. Wow. And yeah. (laughs) And so it was amazing to see how many people's lives she touched. And also to realize that that many more people couldn't be there in person, but wanted to be there and wanted to be a part of it. Similarly, my grandfather died last year and my sister had just had surgery and so she couldn't be there. And so I live streamed it for her. So it was nice that she could see it, but she couldn't really participate. She couldn't talk. She couldn't really be a guest and be a part of it. Uh, And so I knew that there was a need to find a way to bridge this gap. And it was something that was always necessary before. Now it's going to be something that people understand and therefore it will be expected, I think. Uh, So even once COVID is no longer an issue, once people can leave their house and they can gather in larger groups, uh, they will still think of this. It, It will now become something that's expected as a layer onto what was previously done. Yeah, I like that you're reimagining these events that arguably needed to be reimagined anyway. I mean, I know you've been doing this since before COVID, but, you know, I think it definitely makes sense for all of these things to be more personal. Yeah, exactly. And I guess for everyone out there, what what are lessons we could learn about how to just in general make our virtual gatherings more interactive and meaningful, whether whether it's a funeral or something a little more fun? <laughs> the first thing we ask our families is, if this was in person, what would you do? And then we try to find ways to incorporate pieces of that or to translate that into something that is virtual. One thing is to truly share stories that are not just broad, but really specific to the person. And, you know, it's not a roast, so you're not supposed to be <laughs> sharing things that Yeah, but are... what if I want to be roasted at my <laughs> <laughs> Well, then you should leave instructions in advance for that. <laughs> I will. I've done, you heard it ha- here, Jen. <laughs> I know, I know. We actually had, we had one woman who left 12 pages of instructions for her family on what she wanted for her funeral. Nice. Wow. Um, so I highly I recommend... I You know what I mean? Yeah. It's like, okay, Completely. that's what we'll do. It's very helpful. It's lovely. And it definitely takes so much pressure off of your family. If you tell them exactly how you'd like to be remembered and they have a vision for how you want the event to go. The other thing we've done, we did one event for a woman who was still alive and she joined for the event. So she got to be there when her family and friends were all celebrating her life together. On her, was she like terminally ill? She was, she, she died the following week. Yeah. Okay. yeah. That's so, a cool way to do it. I'd rather be there. It's a good exactly. way to go out, you know, here everybody loves you and then you leave. I'm into that. Exactly. <laughs> so that was, that was really beautiful. If you can plan, that really makes a big difference. For instance, my husband, uh, he's a big U2 fan, and he has been very clear that he wants a U2 karaoke party for his funeral. (laughs) And 
that is lovely because I know exactly what we're doing. <laughs> if it comes to that, I found the person planning it. Yeah, good. I already let Jen know before this that I'd like everyone to wear a onesie and tell fun stories. <laughs> exactly, exactly. So, and, uh, th- this podcast is a legally binding will and testament, so I think you guys are covered. I'm counting on you, Jen and Matt. I mean, I don't right, have right. like uh, a spouse, so it's up to and my parents. It would be very dry and lawyerly, so it, it's up to you guys. <laughs> <laughs> we actually have a bunch of partners, uh, companies now in the space that are really helping people plan for these things and they have digital vaults that you can leave behind so that your loved ones know exactly what to do, whether it's with your will or your life insurance or how to access your digital files um, or to tell you exactly what you want for your funeral. Uh, So I highly recommend um, checking out joincake.com or Everplans, Lantern. There are a bunch of really great companies out there doing it now. You sounds like you're knowledgeable about that space. If I'm gone tomorrow, like there are many passwords and accounts that my family would not have access to that are very important. My entire digital life is behind a pa- various passwords. Uh, did do people get run into issues? And that must yes. be a very complicated mess. For sure. For sure. And so some of these companies are worth checking out for your digital vault. But the other thing you should do is go through all of your emails and social media accounts. Google has this. They, they all have basically legacy contacts that you can leave. Um, so you can make somebody your your legacy contact who can have permission. And you can also say, I, see. I want my Facebook profile deleted, or I want it made into a memorial page, or I want it just handed over to this person. Well, speaking of speaking of tech, do you have any thoughts on that chat bot where you can send it all the texts from your deceased friend or relative, and then oh, yeah. it will ingest it and chat as yeah. your friend? Do you know about that? Yes, I do. It's, it's, uh, I think it's really interesting. It may become creepy. Mm-hmm, you think? <laughs> you think? <laughs> Maybe no closure? Um, yeah. Yeah, I think there's a lot that we're going to be processing in the next few years about how, how we keep people with us over time. And it's something we think about uh, for our memorial pages as well, because you can upload photos and videos and people can leave their comments. And so over time, right, this becomes in a way your, your, your digital vault of this person. For instance, I, I've noticed um, someone I know who whose father died recently and they keep saying, oh, I just can't look at the videos. It's too soon. And I can't do the work of curating. Um, and, and I think that that's kind of a lot of the big question is how much do we curate versus how much do we consolidate and just keep adding to it, right? Because in reality, if you ha- we now have so much footage and photos and videos and things of people, but we don't really have the time to filter through it and sort through it, right? And that's really where the work is because ultimately, you know, you're not going to hand down to your grandkids billions of photos. They're not going to go through it right? They're never going to have time. So much of what I think we owe future generations and our loved ones is doing the work of curating and getting rid of things and really letting them know what's important. Yeah, it's such a weird world, right? Where it's like kids born today, it's like we're documenting every single second. But where does that go 50 to 100 years from now? Right, Um, right. How useful is that? 
Right. And even just like the fact that you can go through and read old emails and see their Facebook presence. Like we have these digital presences that outlive us, which is wild. Mm -hmm. Also, how do you feel about the Amazon TV show Upload? Have you seen it? Have you seen it? No, I haven't. No, I need to see it. After you die, you get uploaded into VR. Oh, yeah. (laughs) I do have to see it. Yeah, I haven't seen it yet. I don't know that I would want that. I think it would be too creepy for me. Well, until it becomes normal and like all your friends are young again, hanging out in VR, you know? Yeah. Right, it, right. it goes then, both directions. It's it's the it's the avatar of the deceased person, and the person is not there, but it's an artificially intelligent recreation of the person, more than a chatbot, uh, uh, some sort of three D image, because. Uh, as Noah was saying, there's so much media. So yes, yeah. we will be able to take every video, every photo, every audio recording that's ever been cre- created about about a person, and then an AI will then be able to reconstruct them d- d- virtually. So you can then continue to interact with them. That's one creepy, crazy way. Mm-hmm. And then the other one is is that upload uh, where where death is no longer death. Death we we conquer death in some way, and this is you know <laughs> right. five hundred thousands of years in the future where. You just simulate the neurons and then boom, we're living virtually. We start virtually. We are always virtual forever. It kind of makes me think of when I see friends who I haven't seen in a while, but I've been texting with them or, you know, seeing their social media posts. And then when I see them, my brain doesn't actually connect all of Mm -hmm. the memories that I have of them virtually. And so I'll be like, (laughs) oh, how are you doing? What have you been up to? As if my brain just doesn't know that (laughs) it's the same person. Mm-hmm. Um, and it makes me wonder if we would have sort of a similar disconnect with the upload people. Interesting. I the opposite way, though. Like, there are people that I think I'm more connected with than I am because I've seen all their updates, you know? <laughs> that too. <laughs> That's and true. Then, and then you're missing that sort of um, cathartic moment where you see someone you haven't seen in a long time and you're like, oh my God, how are you? Catch me up and everything. Yeah. But you actually don't. You have nothing to talk about because right. you've been in touch this whole time. And then exactly. there, that's a little bit of a bummer sometimes. I don't know. <laughs> As we wrap up today, um, I was just curious what you have learned about people coming together to grieve and why, you know, that is a necessity. And obviously you're facilitating this in a very meaningful way online. Uh, We believe the internet's not all bad here at Two Girls, One Podcast. So, you know, and that it does bring people together in meaningful ways. So yeah, just talk to us a little bit, I guess, as we wrap up today on the idea of coming together online um, in grief. I think it's so important to come together with your community and to get support from them um, when you're grieving. The literal definition of mourning is the externalizing of grief. And so in order to do that, you, you need to be able to talk about it with your friends and family and have the reflection back to you of what you're going through and the enormity of that grief. And so having all those people show up, um, even when it's virtual, uh, and in fact, oftentimes many more people who can show up because it is virtual, is so important in this process. We had somebody recently actually uh, who was a guest at one of our events. And afterwards, afterwards, they emailed us to learn about our virtual events. And they said, my um, family member died back in March. And we didn't do anything because it was early. We didn't know what we could do. We couldn't get together in person. And so now they're planning an event with us virtually because they need that closure and they need that event to bring everyone together. 
Well, Noah, thank you so much for sharing with us today and being here and all of your insights. Yeah, it's just such a meaningful thing you're offering and we thank you. Thank you. Is everyone feeling cheery? <laughs> Woo! Well, Funerals. You remember when Sarah Silverman went to a nursing home and sang, you're going to die soon? <laughs> I don't, but I should no, go back and watch that now. <laughs> sounds amazing, yeah. 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 I'm definitely fascinated by how tech is going to affect death and mourning in the afterlife. That is very fascinating to me. I know we only got into that a little bit in the end, but that's the shit that's going to be crazy. Ooh, dude, you, I, I just, the, the, the idea that there, I don't believe there is an afterlife, there, there is any spiritual afterlife, but that we could create an afterlife technologically. Wait, I also didn't Ooh. believe there was an afterlife, but then the fact that all the people, that like Trump and everyone got COVID at the event to replace RBG made me think maybe mm. go surreal. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's like serious karma. So karma and spiritual RBG retribution. Maybe was, Got it. Uh, you know, yeah. Right. I don't oh, okay. think, You're, I'm on board. Like people are like, oh, karma. And I'm like, no, we're us little people are not affecting the universe in big ways. But <laughs> RBG died on Rosh Hashanah. <laughs> and then Trump and a bunch of other Republicans got COVID. <laughs> event that she asked them not to do. Her one request, her dying wish was for them not to do that. And they did. And then they Pretty got suspect. COVID. So what, what you're saying is ghosts can spread COVID. Yep. One more you thing we gotta here. fucking worry about. You heard it here. It was actually the CDC announced it recently that yeah. ghosts you spread fact check us. So, yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm less technologically savvy than you guys are about VR and all this stuff. But what do you what do you mean that the internet would afford us the ability to have an afterlife? Like explain that to me. Well, because they're gonna upload our consciousness into VR. Yeah. Your consciousness? Like how yes, would that even not work? Not only is that the subject of Amazon's TV show Upload, but also the Black Mirror episode San Junipero, which is one of the only like fun, positive, not dystopian episodes. And it's incredible. Mm. Oh, okay. But like yeah. literally explain to me, like how do you upload consciousness into a computing system? Your brain is a computer. And if you can simulate all of the things that are going on in your brain, the way we simulate particles and forces and textures and other things in a virtual environment, if you can get the computing power good enough, fast enough, powerful enough to really get down to like the atomic level or the neuron level or whatever, then you can simulate anything. You could simulate an apple that you literally touch and feel and put in your mouth and it's a simulation. Or if you could simulate simulate a human brain, then all of the personalities and memories and ticks and whatever that came with that brain could be then recreated. Yeah, but you know what else is interesting? That theoretically, everyone would be recreated as like the digital self that they presented on social media and then fucking kill me. <laughs> well, that's different. That's different. Yes. If if you're recreating an avatar based on the media that you create, then that is a very biased, you know, that's everything that's wrong with social media and algorithms and everything. But but so that that's one trajectory. And that is definitely here slash coming. We're sort of living mm-hmm. in that twilight of that, right? But then what we're saying, what what Jen is saying, and we're tr- getting at on the on the sciencey side is like, no, literally recreating down to the brain cell a virtual version of a human mind or, or any mind, an animal mind or something. But and then, what? 
And it's what, in, then it's immortality. Mm-hmm. Then it's true. Well, immort- it's true immortality. Well, I was going to say to what end? Because immortality in that the people who are living get to interact with the simulation of you. But, but would the simulation yeah. would then, by all intents and purposes, be alive and would <laughs> be afforded personhood? Why? Why wouldn't it? But like. I wouldn't know. Like once I die and my consciousness is uploaded, I'm not going to be like virtual Jen being like, "Cool, I'm in a whole new medium now." <laughs> no, but but a clo- essentially a clone of you with all of your memories and feelings would be alive. Right. I, this is really deep philosophical stuff. Of like, if you, te- it's like teleporting your consciousness into a new body, essentially, and it's it is absolutely 100 percent you down to the brain cell, but. The you that was alive previously is gone, but the new you is alive and sentient and is a person continuing to live. That's very troubling, and but also super interesting and cool. I'd rather come back as like a leaf or something. <laughs> <laughs> something with way fewer something problems. Something simpler. Yeah. <laughs> I want a different experience than this one. <laughs> I love this one, but yeah. Let's <laughs> get some issues. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I just want to chill out for a while as a leaf. <laughs> Don't try to recreate me, guys. <laughs> oh. <laughs> All right. All right. Well, everybody, we, as always, would love to hear from you. So tweet at us. You can tweet at me at Junebugger, J O O. And B-U-G-G-E-R. I'm at Allie Gold, A-L-L-I-G-O-L-D. You can email us at 2G1podcast at gmail.com. You can also text us or leave us a voicemail. That phone number is 347-871-6548. That number again, 347-871-6 And join us on Discord, discord.gg slash 2G1P. That is a unique link that you can only find here. So please join us. Uh, Listeners of the show are there. Sometimes guests come on. We're there. Um, And like we mentioned earlier, we even organized a game that we all played together recently. So fun things happen there. Join us, discord.gg slash 2G1P. Allie, if they'd like to contribute, how do they? You can go to patreon.com slash 2G1P. And we hope that you will, especially because unemployment is still a thing and 95% of live events have been canceled and apparently two-thirds of artists are unemployed or underemployed (laughs) but that was the usual that was before COVID though let's be honest no that's true but I'm quoting stats uh, from Americans for the Arts so (laughs) all right everybody we'll catch you next time thank you Podglomerate. A sonic universe. You're welcome.